Hey everybody, this is the Brood Life Podcast and I am your host, Brandon Hall. So grab a cup of coffee, sit down, and let's have a conversation today. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Brood Life. This week we are going to be talking with my friend Ronnie Austin Brammer about the importance of male friendships. And if you are a guy or if you know a guy, like a husband or a dad or a son or a brother, know that it is really difficult for us to make other male friends sometimes and I've found that to be true across the board at all different stages of life growing up in college and especially now that I'm married and have kids and balancing a lot of different things that require time and energy it is hard to sometimes intentionally make that time to build those strong male friendships that are important and that are vital. So uh, Ronnie and I spent a a good amount of time talking about this, and it was really one of the best conversations I've had about this subject. And I really could have been continuing to talk to him for another hour or so, but you probably wouldn't listen to the conversation that long. So we kept it on target and discussed a lot of really good things and I think that uh, whether you are a man who struggles with finding good male friendships or you know uh, someone in your life uh, that is having a hard time struggling with finding those strong male friendships this is going to be a good episode for you uh, either for yourself or for you to know for someone you love to maybe help them and help guide them in the direction on not only the importance of it, but just finding good friends. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you do enjoy the episode and you've been enjoying this podcast, please share it with any of your friends, uh, family, neighbors, anybody you think that would benefit from the conversations that we've been having and go out and whatever platform that you are listening to and give us some uh, ratings, comment, whatever. Just share how much you've been enjoying it so that this can get out to whoever needs to hear it. And uh, I'm not in it for acclamation or for uh, attention or to puff up myself. I just want to have good conversations with people about topics that you want to hear about and just impact as many people as possible with these conversations. So thanks again for listening and for being part of this. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ronnie Austin Brammer, and I will see you after the conversation.
Welcome, everybody. Uh, I am here with my friend Ronnie, and we are going to be talking uh, today just about the importance of male friendships. But before we get started, uh, Ronnie, why don't you introduce yourself and just uh, give us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do, and anything you want to tell us. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Um, I'm super excited to be a part of your podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, my name is Ronnie Austin. I have two names, Ronnie Austin Brammer, because I'm from Arkansas. And everybody in Arkansas has two names. Half of us go by our middle names. And, and you know this, if you think about it, like Billy Bob Thornton, uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, you know, people from the South, you know, we all just have two names. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm from. It's from Arkansas. Uh, I, move, I live in Colorado now. Uh, I'm currently looking at inches of snow, like crazy amounts of snow, almost a foot of snow. And it's Thanksgiving break week which is crazy to have a white Thanksgiving. Um, I don't get many of those uh, growing up and it's cool now that I'm older. Um, I'm a pastor. I work at a church in Castle Rock and I've been there for about five years. I've been in ministry world for golly over a decade. Um, just working with internships, big churches, small churches all across the country. Really. I was part of a, a kind of a parachurch ministry in the two thousands. And when I was there, I, um, had a lot of proximity to interns. And so I was, I was not in charge of, but a key manager or leader for uh, our men's discipleship program for a couple of years. And so I was one of our, our main leaders. Um, I, I went through some issues during that time too. I made some mistakes uh, morally. I made some mistakes. And then also as a leader, I made some mistakes and I was with a great group of guys that, loved me through all those mistakes and uh, helped develop me into the leader that I am today. And I really value that season of life. I learned a lot about relationships with uh, men, like how important they are. Um, those, those brotherhood type friendships that you have during that season. It was, it was awesome. Uh, and since then I'm married. I have two kids now, a little boy and a little girl. They are, six and four. My daughter is, uh, her name is Lorelai. She's in first grade. She's, I mean, they're both amazing. She is so creative and whimsical. Uh, my son is, uh, he's like a dinosaur. He is a monster. He's like a <laughs> caveman. I mean, he just eats and runs his gut into things. It's ridiculous. And so they're both a, a lot of fun. My wife is Mandy. Um, we, we do a lot of work together. We got a lot of irons in the fire, but that's pretty much us, our life. It's crazy. Um, we're yeah. in ministry. I also, uh, do some other work on the side and then, and then, um, we're also health coaches. So, um, man, we, we do a lot. It feels like we're always busy and, and that's just who we are. Yeah. Awesome. And I love you guys to death. You guys are some of my favorite people. Um, Thank so, you. uh, yeah, no problem. So, uh, as I was like thinking about this, because for me personally, like I thinking back over my life, uh, you know, I've had some really impactful friendships with men over my life, uh, especially looking back at college and sure. uh, relationships I built. And I and just thinking about how things are now, I was looking at some statistics and and just what has become more of a reality recently is just how lonely men are. Uh, there was something that said like 38% or something like that of, of men, middle-aged men are 
dealing with loneliness. Millennials are dealing with loneliness even more. And that, uh, that loneliness and that feeling of loneliness and being isolated is causing even more health issues and people to come up and just kind of highlighting what the, how important it is to be connected with people and to have friendships and uh, just thinking about that, you know, in a previous episode, I talked to somebody about just the importance of transparency and vulnerability within male friendships and, and how much that does for it. But looking back, back, back over the past decade, uh, two decades that there's been kind of a shift there there's been a shift in one way where like more attention is being brought to it but there's also been a shift another way where there's more loneliness and and there's more uh isolation especially with men and as you uh kind of think back over you know your own life in the last couple decades what has been your experience with friendships and your own life and how has it impacted you? Yeah. Um, I, from a young age, when I, when I say young, I mean, uh, 19, 19 okay. to 22. Um, I had a, uh, a, a transition in my life from being a really stupid teenager to a fully thinking, fully functioning adult. And, and a lot of that had to do with my frontal lobe development. In that season, um, I started hanging out with some older guys. And uh, they were part of the church that I had just got connected with. I, I didn't grow up in a church. In... So spirituality, I was always a spiritual kid. And I had a lot of big questions about the world. Like, um, I didn't understand the idea of eternity. Like... Uh, space not ending like there had to be an edge of the universe there had to be an edge of existence in my mind because there was you know a finite space to my home uh, there was the end of my street uh, my city was only so big my county was only so big and I just didn't understand the universe just going on in eternity in all directions it didn't make sense to me um, time was something that bothered me as a little kid and I would have now that I look back on it I was having panic attacks at uh, the ages of nine, 10 and 11 struggling with um, my own wrestling with reality. And I didn't have a whole lot of male leadership and mentorship in my life. Now I love my family, love my dad, love my grandparents. I have a great legacy of, of, of great men um, that have gone before me, but relationally the men in my life and my family were not skilled at making deep, meaningful connections with other men. Uh, they had friendships, of course, but just being real and genuine and authentic with each other is not something my dad was super great at. Um, we never had any deep conversations about some of these things. I was just having questions about life, and my dad wasn't really equipped to answer them. And so that's not a knock on him or his character or his uh, love for me. It's just it just It was just the way things were. And so by the time I was... 17, 18, 19, I, I was making a wreck out of my life and, and had a, uh, a shift. I made a decision to step away from some friendships that were really unhealthy for me, that were pushing me in a negative direction and, and connecting with some, some relationships that were more healthy. And that happened to be in the context of church. Uh, my best friend who I partied with in high school, 
convinced me to go to church. And I was like anti-church. I was, I was like, a, I'm not going to go there kind of guy. Um, I felt like church was fake. I felt like um, the people there were uh, trying to be, trying to put on a front and not be what they really were um, in, from the inside to the outside, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, this, this guy, he just, he just loved me. Uh, he said, no, just come hang out with my friends. And when I went to this church, I met some older men that cared and would answer some of my questions. They would talk to me about some of these things I was dealing with. And something shifted in my mind to begin to come to terms with um, not only the questions I had uh, about reality for my youth, but also questions about me, who I was. And they asked me great questions about who I was, and it made me start to think about who I was. And as I started to think, um, I made some decisions to leave Arkansas and move out to, to Colorado. And so uh, to answer your question, um, uh, I feel like uh, having a place to go where you can talk to, to somebody that has some experience that you can trust is like a, a key part to young men's mental health. We have to have that place where we can yeah. share our questions, doubts, fears, and, and, and things that we're dealing with in life with, with men that have walked it before that know how to relate with us. So, yeah, no. And like for my own experience, I think that what's been impacting me in kind of a similar way is just being able, like that whole concept of being fully known and fully loved at the same time. And that you're, you have a group of people you're able to go to, or one or two guys you're able to go to and you can be, they can fully know every uh, everything about you, every from the worst to the best, and they still fully love you and accept you and support you, regardless of what your past is or what you're currently struggling with. So, I, I, I on that note, it took me years to learn how to be vulnerable. Years, yeah, yeah. And even now today, I struggle to be vulnerable with my wife sometimes about things that I'm feeling, just because um, when when you spend the early parts of your life in a place where you don't, you're, you're not able to be vulnerable. You're not mm -hmm. able to express yourself and be trusted and heard. Um, that's, that's a hard habit or, or pattern of thinking to break. It takes a lot of discipline. It's almost like being born uh, without the ability, not because of a physical limitation, but because of uh, more of a practical one. Um, Let's say that uh, you grow up in a place where the ceilings are only three foot tall. And so you never really learn to stand up and walk. You only crawl. You mm. only crawl up until you're, you know, 19. And then, and then you're let out of that place to a world where you can stand and run and jump. It's going to be hard to make a transition to learn how to stand, to learn how to run if you've never had that experience before. And that's um, a terrible analogy, but it's almost a perfect picture of what I experienced when it comes to my own um, relational legs. I didn't have strong relational legs to run with. And it was hard for me to, to keep up. And it was a discipline of, of, of exercising that muscle over a long period of time that I'm still trying to uh, develop, even in now that I'm 30, Five, I think. They're <laughs> thirty-five now. I'm still learning how to how to uh, do do relationships uh, in a healthy way. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I completely relate to that. I was the same way growing up, and still 
it's still like you said it's like intentional conscious decision to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and it's hard um but it's just something you constantly have to practice over and over again yeah um and, and like thinking about that and we talked about you know you growing up in relationships and stuff like uh comparing our current reality our current you know society and day-to-day lives to how things were maybe 15 20 years ago what do you think may be contributing to the difficulty of men finding the male friendships that they need and that are you know as we discussed really vital to their lives Oh, great question. And I, I just seeing this from a ministry point of view where I have walked with young people for a long time, um, you know, in the 2000s, I was uh, working with uh, really pre-millennials and millennials. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't defined yet, but that's who I was working with was that first generation of millennials that were coming into their adulthood. Right. And now I'm a youth pastor and I'm, I'm, I've been working with uh, post generation, those young people, that next generation that's coming up. And I've seen a lot of differences between the way young people think, even in the two thousands, uh, as compared today where it's almost 2020. So, um, I graduated no two. All right. And immediately, uh, by the time I was 22, I was, I was involved in, in discipleship with weeks, particularly young men. The, so I'm going to take from my experience and what I've seen over the past 20 years. Sure. I think whenever I was young, there was in the 80s and 90s, there was a brand of masculinity that was sold to that young generation that was a phony, that was a fake. Yes. And by the time the 2000s rolled around, uh, there was a lot of holes that were poked in that persona. And it was shown to be... Um, not what it was all cracked up to be a little bit of machismo. That was kind of, we, we saw up the skirt of that brand of masculinity. I think in the two thousands with a lot of moral failures, particularly sure. in leadership and in church, these, these men that were perfect leaders that were uh, built up to be the idea of what every man should strive to be. were having these massive moral failures um, along with that came the advent of what I'll call the digital revolution. So similar to the industrial revolution um, in the eighties and nineties, we started going through this thing called that I'm calling the digital revolution, which is um, changing the way society functions. It's changing the way humans connect. And honestly, if you looked at uh, what, what in your mind, Brandon, what are maybe five things that have really impacted our species off the top of your head. I, I, I would think of one being the, the invention of fire. Whenever we figured out how to make fire, man, that really changed our species. I would also say um, written language and communication, like learning how to write down language changed our species. I would also say um, the industrial revolution changed our species. It changed our life expectancy. It changed the way that we um, built societies, you know, so, so take that handful of things that you think of that have really impacted our species. And I would say the digital revolution is at least in the top 10, if not in the top, maybe six or seven, I don't know if it cracks the top five, but it's up there. Yeah. It's up there and it's changing young people, the way their brains 
work, the way they connect with people and the way that we build relationships. It's, it's insane how different it is. Communication from when I was in high school, if I wanted to talk to a girl or hang out with one of my friends, I had to pick up a phone. I had to make sure that they weren't long distance. So we, you know, I had to, uh, make sure they were in my area code. Yep. Um, <laughs> call them on the phone. We would talk for 30 minutes and then maybe I'd see them at school. Yep. Now, if young people wants to interact with any of their friends, it's, it's instant and it's short. It's, it's yep. abbreviated. It's truncated. And most of the communication is now done in, uh, I mean, I'll call it hieroglyphics. That's basically what emojis, Snapchats, um, the, 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 the photo and videos, the way that we communicate is, I, I don't want to say digressing, but it's similar to how uh, hieroglyphics communicated in pictures um, that, that conveyed emotions. It's almost like mm-hmm. language is, is shifting. And now um, pictures and images are, are conveying the words that we're trying to say. And so um, it's just really interesting to see young people, the way they communicate now. Um, it, so, so that change over the last 20 years is, is fundamentally changing who we are as men. And now we're trying to figure out, okay, if that perfect male role model that we saw in the nineties or that hero male that we saw in the nineties, like I think of Steven Seagal on, um, uh, or, or, or John Claude Van Damme, like those were my superheroes when I was a kid, if right. I think about movies and shows, um, now there's, we're questioning sexuality. We're questioning identity. We're questioning what it means to be a strong male role model. Uh, we're discovering that vulnerability is um, a huge part of being a real male, like a real strong male is having the bravery and courage to be vulnerable and show your flaws. Yeah. So um, we're, we're just discovering this. We as a, as, a, as a culture, we're just walking through this, trying to figure out how to be men in, um, in this digital age. And so uh, b- beyond that, I think um, the access to pornography and explicit content is way, way different than what it was when, when I was a kid. And that's yeah. also changing male sexuality. Yep. Um, it's changing yep. how we view women, um, how we view ourselves sexually, uh, just because it's so, so accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's, I, I think that's, that's contributing to the difficulty is, is, um, just the digital age where we're at and that makes friendships now really vital. So, yeah. um, so they're more important now than ever. Yeah, no. And, uh, and I, I guess you that in my own life, I, my oldest, he's 13 years old so he's a teenager and uh i see that and even in his relationships and uh you know we only let him have an ipod touch but he still you know talks to his friends through that and but just like the way that they talk and how they connect and uh he has a friend that he connected with through going to a motion conference through church over the summer and they talk to each other through the week and then the, they'll see each other on Sunday and they'll stand next to each other at church on Sunday and talk to mm. each other through their iPods or their phones or whatever. <laughs> not, not really say a thing to each other, but stand next to each other and communicate right. through their phones. Right. You know what exactly. I think is so interesting about the phones? And I'll say this just, just as a tangent. 
<laughs> how do you interact with your phone? Like, how do you interface with it? With your eyes and your fingers. Yeah. Okay. You have to look at it and you have to press buttons with your hands. Yeah. I see a reality in the near future where our interface with our phones is, uh, bypasses the fingers and somehow um, connects to the human body digitally. Now, I know mm. this sounds like some sci-fi out there stuff, but I see a world where um, they find a way to make the, the, our technology more integrated with our bodies. And I'm yeah. saying like, this is like, um, I, I know Star Wars had like the cyborg people or whatever, or not Star Wars. What's that? Star Trek, the cyborg. Trek, yeah. 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 Uh, that is a bad picture, but I think it's thinking in the right direction. I see technology being more and more integrated with our bodies just because that's how we're communicating. There's a yeah. demand for it. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, even if you look at like stuff that they're, uh, guessing and and predicting that are going to be out there like even with like uh vr glasses and stuff like that glasses right. you wear every day but you see everything that would be on your phone through your lenses and your glasses and like i mean there's no more you know you don't have to physically hold a phone anymore it reminds me of the 90s where johnny mnemonic was this movie that came out it had keanu reeves this is yes. pre matrix keanu reeves and he had uh, a data implant slot like a usb slot in his brain and um and he was carrying data but the data was so huge it was going to make his brain melt and there was some gangsters looking to get the data out of his head so he's he's on a he's on the run trying to get this data to a to a uh a goal type place you know the story yeah anyways the amount of data in his brain that was going to make his brain explode was like 28 megabytes <laughs> it was ridiculous <laughs> it was like <laughs> go watch that movie now you'll laugh but, yeah but i think it was really forward thinking it's funny yeah no that's funny oh, the 90s uh so uh and you kind of hinted at this what why do you think that it is so important for men to have those close male friendships and how does it impact the rest of their lives outside of that this relationship okay so i got an analogy for you to help paint this picture and you're gonna have to think with me a little bit this is crazy okay okay i'm gonna say a word and i want you to think of an actual location and tell me what that location is in your mind are you ready to go back in your memories okay um just the first place that you associate with this word all right you ready ready public pool Mm. yeah well we didn't go to the public pool growing up very much but what <laughs> but uh yeah i didn't learn how to swim till i was a teenager oh uh, really that is interesting yeah. yeah neither one of my parents really knew how to swim so i didn't i was in high school before i learned how to swim okay well think of the one have you seen stranger things right oh yeah absolutely Okay, think of that public pool. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, but when you say public pool, like, I have an image that comes into my head because, you know, I know what a What's public it like? pool looks like. What does it have? Oh, what does it have? It's, uh, it's crowded, and uh, there's tons of kids in the pool. There's uh, screaming and running, and uh, <laughs> maybe I'm thinking right? more of it as a parent now, but... Uh, yeah, right, right, okay. But yeah, like I, and like, uh, it's not always, depending on where it is, it's not always the cleanest. Uh, there you go. Okay. Uh, so let me ask you this question. 
Oh, does it have like a high dive or a low dive? Does oh, yeah, slides? yeah. Okay. Yeah, usually a couple diving boards. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so every public pool is different. Yeah. Some are worse than others. The worst yep. public, well, okay. Some people, when I ask that, they think of a water park. They think of like water worlds. Okay. Oh, sure. Okay, or like a splash mountain or something like that. Yeah. Um, other people will think of uh, a pool from their childhood that they went to that that had a special memory for them like oh man every summer i would go to this pool and it had a this that and the other and this is what made it awesome no one ever thinks of the worst type of public pool do you know what the worst type of public pool is the hotel pool yes the sauna is always broken the hot tub's lukewarm um the 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 water is overchlorinated and disgusting yeah so gross the worst pools on the planet they have one thing in common and I'm going to touch back on this. There's never a lifeguard on duty. You'll see a yep. big sign on the wall. This is no lifeguard on duty. These pools are unmonitored and unmaintained. Okay. So just keep that in your mind. Now I'm going to tell you about my pool is the pool I grew up going to in the little town of Alma, Arkansas. When I was a kid, this pool was just like you described. And it looked a lot like the one on stranger things. It was an old seventies concrete building. It had the shower stalls that, that, that were the old 70 commissary style bathhouse. Um, it was just a straight, long Olympic sized pool with a deep end turned to the left off the end. It had a high dive and a low dive. Um, lifeguard stands, kids running around everywhere. When I was a kid, this place was the jam. I mean, every kid wanted to go to this pool during the summer. And there were a couple in the area uh, that started to compete. And over the years, the, the Alma pool, um, it degraded. It like got worse and worse and a little bit dilapidated. And finally, uh, when I was a teenager, they decided to shut the pool down and it was closed down for like maybe three or four years, I think. And then a group came in and decided to remodel the pool and they were going to add like a splash pad, some giant slides, and it was going to be branded as a water park. Mm-hmm. And so that pool was shut down for an entire summer, everybody waited for it to open. And the next summer when it opened, it became the top-notch best pool in the county. Uh, it, it regained its supremacy, to say. Okay. All right. This is where I'm going with this. Every man's heart is, is like a public pool. It has its own features. It has its own designs. It has its own, uh, like, deep end. Some guys are designed like me. I'm like party pool. So whatever a party pool would be like, that's what my heart is kind of built like. Uh, your pool may be something um, designed a little bit differently. Maybe it's an athletic pool. It's designed for an Olympic swimming or swim meets. And that's, that's its only purpose is one specific thing. Um, some people's hearts are really uh, big and elaborate. Some people's hearts are... Um, more simple and specific either way those pools all of them they do have a deep end all right every pool has a deep end Mm -hmm. i would say us as males growing up in the age that we did up until now we have a lot of trouble getting to the deep end and whenever we go down there we find stuff we don't want to see like dead squirrels and leaves and the filters all clogged up with like garbage there's like snakes and stuff down there there's like plants growing it's green it's nasty Um, And we spend a lot of time in the shallow end for us to effectively go to the deep end. 
we have to shut our pool down for a little bit and do some heavy duty maintenance and remodeling. I think every man needs to do this. And I would call this a self identity uh, season of life, getting honest and real with yourself. I had to go through it when I was 17, 18, 19. Um, I had to figure out who I was and how I was designed and go into places of my heart for, and to mm-hmm. go to those deep areas, to go to those places that, um, I had never been before. I had to have people that had experience and knew how to go to those places. And there were two types of people, mentors and, and I'll call them brothers, mentors and brothers. And I would equate this to like having lifeguards on duty and having maintenance people at a public pool. Any public pool that's awesome is going to have lifeguards on duty and it's going to have maintenance people that take care of the water, that right. take care of the, the, the stuff, that clean up the messes. And so um, for me, that looked like guys that were at least 10 years older than me that had success in areas I wanted to have success in. Like they were either successfully married or they might be single, but they were successful at uh, their career or they were successful at developing relationships. And so I, I, I pushed aside what, what society was telling me was a real man. And I said, what do I want to be? I want to be a good dad. I want to have great friends. I want to have, um, I want to be a hard worker and have good character. So I looked for guys that had that. And I started hanging out with those kind of guys and asking them, um, how to follow in their footsteps and do life the way that they did life. And then I also had bros around me that really watched my back. So if I was doing something stupid, they had the courage to tell me, bro, you're doing something stupid. Or they had the, the, the wherewithal to make me aware of stuff that I wasn't aware of. And I think every young man needs to find those type of relationships in their life where they have some mentors and some bros that are able to do that with them. Yeah. And, uh, and thinking of that, like with, with the brothers, I think that as I've gotten older and, you know, I, I'm 38, so we're around the same age, but, uh, growing up, especially, uh, I grew up in the church, but even in college and stuff, there was this, uh, every, like everybody like pushed, like, Oh, you got to have an accountability group. Uh, you got to have, and I think that there was good intentions behind that, but I don't think that it ever, a lot of times they never really, uh, lived up to their full potential because instead of, it being a group of guys you could be honest with and vulnerable and transparent and do life together and have each other's backs. It turned into, uh, well, did you do this? No. Did you read your Bible? No, or yes, or whatever. And then that you just checked in and that was it. And it never moved beyond that. And it was more of like, check the boxes. So I don't feel shameful and not, uh, a deep, authentic, transparent relationship with somebody that's going to stick by you through thick and thin. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. So the accountability group model was a great idea, but it's kind of broken. Yeah. Um, usually because it's built around a, a moral code structure. Yes. And what I mean by that, it's like a church saying, here's our moral code. Let's get a group of guys together that can challenge each other to walk in that moral code. Um, that in itself is a flawed, uh, it's a flawed model because the goal is vulnerability, but it's built on a foundation of, um, an ever changing moral code and, um, uh, 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 unlevel moral code. Like one guy's moral code may be a little bit different than the other. Right. 
So one guy doesn't cuss. One guy thinks cussing's fine. One guy gambles. One guy's like gambling will send you to hell. One guy smokes. One guy's like, oh man, nicotine will send you to hell. Uh, one guy's like, uh, masturbation's great. Another guy's like, oh my god, you filthy sinner. You know, like, and so it becomes a moral code debate. Uh, and then so instead of doing that, we just keep it shallow. We don't actually go to the deep end. Yeah. What I'm talking about when I say bros is is not a not an accountability group. But think of one person in your life you can call and say a deep dark truth that you're dealing with and know that they'll listen and they'll help walk walk it through with you. And this is something personally for me whenever I lived in Portland, I didn't have a lot of close bros. I didn't have a lot of um friends I could rely on. I was there for 3 years. It's a dark depressing place. It's mm. really wet. It's really, you know, and I was in a, a bad office environment. I didn't have anybody I could go to. And I started struggling with crippling panic attacks mm -hmm. that had physical manifestations every day of uh, elevated heart rate. So tachycardia, I was tachycardic and I was having uh, preventricular contractions, uh, which is a, a heart arrhythmia. That's how bad these panic attacks were getting. They were affecting the way my heart functioned. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not like making up symptoms like i was diagnosed with these symptoms they're like sure you know and it's pretty common for people that are having panic attacks to have an altered heart rhythm but this was so consistent it was really impacting my life i had no one i could call and be vulnerable with that information not because they weren't available but because i was scared mm, yeah i was scared and it wasn't until i opened up and talked about what i was going through first with my wife then with some close friends that I was an accountability group years earlier, but never was real with. I finally called them and got real with them. Um, and, and I had to call them and say, look, I am having these crippling panic attacks. I want to die. Like I would rather die than go through this. I'm struggling in tears. I'm having these conversations saying I need help. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, uh, one guy I talked to, you know what he said to me? He goes, Oh, I feel you, bro. I've been there too. Then all of a sudden, the shame, the guilt, the hesitations, the barriers evaporated. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we were starting to able to have real conversation about what we were going through and being vulnerable. So now today, I know of maybe five or six guys. Yeah, I would say five or six that I could call with any issue. I can name them right now. Any issue. They would hear me. Uh, empathize and, and be willing to do whatever it takes to help me walk through it. So when I say lifeguards, like that's the kind of people I'm talking about. Yeah. And if you, if you don't have those, like at least one or two guys, you can call and tell them anything and know that, um, man, you gotta, I don't know how to develop it other than life experience. You gotta find those guys and fight for it. But I, I, I think if we as men would ask, um, and be real about what we're going through, we would find that there are some bros out there for us. So, so sorry, I know I'm talking a lot, but I got no, one good. example for it. When we were on the boat, so you and I met on a boat. It was awesome. I, I made, I made relationship with a guy named Scott. I don't want to say his last name on the, on the podcast, but, um, cause I don't have permission to do that, but I met Scott. We hung out a couple of times, um, had some beers on the boat together. We had a great time, had dinner together. Uh, and then I saw him at another event a couple of months later. And, and I was having one of those panic attacks. I hadn't experienced it in a long time, but I was having one and I was trying to take a walk to kind of cool my head and get, get right 
And I ran into him and he said, Hey man, what's going on? And you know what I did? I was actually vulnerable and said Mm. what I was going through. Like, man, right now I'm having a panic attack. This is going on in my life. Um, I got to get this under control. And he said, man, I hear you. And if you ever need me, you call me Mm. ever. I will. I'm there for you. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I feel you. I feel the same way about this particular issue that we were that in that moment we were talking about. And, um, I know right now I could call Scott and be like, Hey Scott, I'm struggling. Help me out. And I know that he'd be there for me. Yeah. And, and the only reason that relationship is there is because I was willing to be vulnerable and ask. Yeah. And so often whenever people come up and say, how are you doing? We blow smoke mm. because we're afraid of having a genuine conversation and being real. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Oh, here. Okay. You said something about the pool that made me think of this. All the kids running around, right? Mm-hmm. Making a mess, hitting each other with noodles. They're peeing in the pool. They're pooping <laughs> in the pool. That's why we have a kiddie pool. That's why we have a kiddie pool. Public yep. pools have kiddie pools, so the poop stays over there. There are people in your life that are going to try to make their garbage your problem. You have to be able to discern that and, and push them in the, in the segregated waters of your heart. It's okay to – I'm not saying be vulnerable with everybody. Right. I'm right. saying, I'm saying, um, there's some people you don't want to be vulnerable with. Yeah. Cause they all, they'll, they'll, they'll make that, they'll, they'll exasperate the problem. So you have to have wisdom, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you only want people that are trained like, like lifeguards are trained, right? They have skills and abilities to pull people out of deep water and go into deep water. Same thing. You want people that you trust to go into the deep parts of your heart. Right. Um, it's, it's a matter of finding those guys. And if you have a couple of those guys, all of a sudden kicking people to the kiddie pool is easier, hanging out in the shallow winds easier and, and having clean waters in your heart is so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think, uh, having those male friendships, those healthy male friendships, how does that impact your relationships with the opposite sex? Oh yeah. I think every guy's got to go through a journey of figuring themselves out. Like I was talking about that self identity Mm -hmm. journey. Um, you know, the, the Aboriginal people do something called a walkabout when they come of age and this kind of walk around the, the, uh, the outback. Um, it's kind of the same way I think with us in our culture and society where we're at now, every man's got to go through a journey through the wilderness of their heart and they need some, some men, some lifeguards, some, um, people to help them figure that out. So they know who they are too often males go into relationships based on, um, what they want from a sexual position, like, like, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, five foot six, this type of jawline, big boobs or whatever. That's what they're looking for when they're trying to hunt down a female. And so mm-hmm. any blonde headed blue eyed girl that walks their way, they're like, I'm going to marry that girl. And I saw this in the internship all the time. Every semester, we'd have a new crop of young people come into the internship. And every semester, there would be a group of guys that felt like they were supposed to marry the same one girl. And it was the hottest <laughs> girl that came into the group. Right. It's like, God, God didn't tell all four of you to marry this girl. I know that for a fact. <laughs> There's no way that makes any sense. I don't care how you divide it. So one, either all of you are wrong or at least three of you are wrong. Right. And it happened every year because there were guys that were thinking wrongly about their approach to finding a mate. Um, I would challenge guys to figure out who they are first. Like, man, what, what, what makes you tick? What kind of pool 
is your heart. Are you a, a missionary? Are you a business guy? Are you a artist or a musician? Like what's the stuff that, that, that gets you going and drives you? For me, it was storytelling. It was uh, building relationships. And now I have a better idea of what that looks like in my thirties. But I think when you're, when you're 20, 21, 22, you got to figure that stuff out. And college is a great time to figure that out. Yeah. I think it's a terrible time to find a wife. Yeah. I think, I think you focus on what makes you tick and what drives you forward. Then you start asking questions. Okay. What would complement this? What's going to complement the rough edges of my personality? So for me, I knew that I had a strong opinionated, uh, super energetic, whimsical personality that, that shifts. I mean, like, like in a conversation, uh, I might say one thing one minute and then shift to another position the next minute. And it makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to anyone else around me. Sure. Um, also know that I have like extreme extrovert. I want to talk and meet with everyone, but it makes me super shallow. Sometimes, sometimes I, uh, disregard people in conversations unintentionally just because the way I'm wired. And so I needed someone that was going to challenge that and keep it in check. And I also knew that I needed someone that was feisty that could, that uh, could, could handle some of the more blunt parts of my personality. Yeah. Um, And so I didn't go into finding a spouse looking for a physical type thing. I was looking for a personality for a heart. Mm. And so um, whenever I was, met Mandy, it was like immediately all the boxes were checked about her personality, not her looks. It had nothing to do with her looks. It was her personality. That's what I was attracted to. Because you know what the easiest thing to change about a person is? Their physicality. That's the easiest thing to change. It's easy to lose weight. It's easy to cut hair. It's easy to get a tan. It's easy to eat better and, and, and I mean, yeah, if you want implants, I mean, it's so easy to change physically. It is near impossible to change how you're wired mentally or emotionally. It is so hard. That's the hard work. Yeah, and so absolutely. marrying someone because they're hot, thinking you're going to help their personality be better over the years, man, that's setting yourself up for failure. But yeah. if you find someone that matches your personality and you guys mesh and blend and, and have good character together, the physical uh, Mandy is, you know, she wasn't a health coach when I met her and she certainly wasn't in the great shape that she's in now. She has, I'm just being vulnerable here. She's only gotten hotter as we've been <laughs> married. And I felt like I've gone the other direction and I'm really fortunate. I'm like, golly, I am so freaking lucky. I'm glad I picked Mandy. And it wasn't because she was the hottest girl in the room. It was because she was the one in a million personality that I was looking for. Mm, yeah. And that's Good. the fallacy with looking for the hottest person in the room is you're looking at maybe a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people and you're picking one out of a thousand. If you're looking for heart and personality, you're looking for a one in a million. And that's what you want. Because yeah. when you find that one in a million, you know, and then you make it work. Now, there's a lot of people say, oh man, I, I, I did it wrong. I did it backwards. Well, no, you didn't. You're married now. Make it work. Like make yeah. that other person your one in a million. Figure out what you can do to do. It's hard work. But you can still do that. You guys, you, you can still make it work and make, you can change personality. You can change emotions and heart. It just, it's a lot harder work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so you can't, you can't do, you go ahead. 
No, I was gonna say I was just gonna say in in all transparency, I we started my wife and I have been married for fifteen years now, and uh, but we met in college and uh, started dating when I was twenty, and she was eighteen, <laughs> and uh, and I mean we got married uh, when we were twenty three and twenty one. So yeah, yeah. Well, and back then, I think it's a little bit different. I mean, I'm talking about in today's context, oh, especially sure, yeah. because. Because it's so easy to meet new people. Like yes. the the pond is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. So just from a practical standpoint, whenever we were in our 20s, um, I don't even know if Facebook was around until no, I was 25. And so yeah. it's a little bit different landscape. But after 15 years of marriage, if you can make it that long yeah, and you've done it right, usually, yeah. usually characters and emotions and stuff blend it just takes longer even for me and mandy our uh uh emotional connection and our personality connection took about three or four years to kind of blend it was it wasn't that hard it was it was because we because we did that we were focused on that on the front end what we didn't focus on was physical it took us eight years into our marriage to get the sex thing figured out and so uh, that was kind of a, a interesting journey for us. So, um, yeah, just, just full transparency. Like I'm not saying I have it perfect. I'm just saying that in today's culture, yeah, we really have to rethink our approach towards, uh, finding yeah. a spouse. And if we don't have people walking along with us that know our heart and can say, dude, this person's really bad for you, or man, this person's really great for you. And Why? Uh, a lot of young people, I, I, I feel in the next, like, look at Japan. Fertility rates are just plummeting, plummeting, mm-hmm. where they're almost in a crisis of infertility. And a lot of that has to do with what we're talking about, relational connections in the digital revolution. Yeah. For our young people to make those healthy connections, it's critical that they have mentors and bros that are walking beside them that know their heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And so – just uh, one final question to kind of wrap things up. What what advice would you give to someone that's listening and maybe uh, maybe they're more introverted or uh, just have a hard time getting out there and building relationships, but they are desperately in need of it? What finding those close, authentic relationships, what's something that you would give them to help them in that pursuit? Oh, gosh. So I'm, I'm the opposite of an introvert. And it's so <laughs> easy for me to make connections. So, so my simple advice is like, just go out there and do it. Just meet some people. And I know, realize for introverts, that's really hard. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think for people that are really looking to be desperately connected with authentic friendships, need to find a genuine community they can plug into. Mm. And that's never been easier. Um, so even in the video game culture, which don't get me started on video games, um, <laughs> there's, there's a common interest that people can gather around. Um, there's communities everywhere that are built. Like, so for me and you, we met, we met, uh, in the health community, we right. met in the, the health coaching community. And that's a just, that's a really healthy community to get involved in. And that's how a lot of introverts can build really healthy connections, um, a church. So get involved in a church. Yeah. If you don't believe, I don't care. You don't believe in Jesus. Don't believe in God. Don't care. Go to a church for the community and see how your beliefs change. Make yourself vulnerable to community and find a community that's attractive and healthy. Don't pick a 
like there's also really unhealthy communities out there. Um, And so you got to pick a, so, so find a healthy community that you can plug into. It can be um, a gym community, like, like a group fitness has become um, a really popular way for people to build communities around. So a CrossFit gym that, that has a really healthy, vibrant um, activity schedule. Like if they're doing barbecues and cookouts and special events, go to that gym. Yeah. And even as an introvert, uh, you don't have to talk. You just have to work out with people. Next thing you know, you're best friends. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I would say find community somehow, some way, get into a plugged into a healthy community. Awesome. Uh, and then one last thing, if people are listening to this and they have, they want to talk more about it or have questions or want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Don't laugh at me. Facebook Messenger is a great way to reach out with me. I love, sure. I love connecting through Facebook. I know not a lot of young people have that. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, I'm not very uh, responsive there. Uh, Twitter, I'm more responsive. And I'm happy to share my phone number with anyone that wants to connect. Um, you just got to reach out to me on one of the socials. It's Ronnie Austin, R-O-N-N-I-E-A-U-S-T-I-N. If that doesn't work, you can't find me for some reason. You should be able to, because um, I'm an early adopter of all the socials. So it's just my name, Ronnie Austin, not like Ronnie Austin 85 or Ronnie Austin <laughs> underscore uh, booger flicker. Uh, it's just, it's just, I'm Ronnie Austin on the socials. I'm not awesome. on Snapchat. Uh, you can also email me. Ronnie Austin Brammer, my full name, R-O-N-N-I-E-A-U-S-T-I-N-B-R-A-M-M-E-R at me.com. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. I had a really good time and I think this is going to be a really good uh, conversation that is going to impact a lot of people that listen to it. Hey, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did having it and hope that you were able to get something out of that for yourself or for somebody that you care about. Uh, Again, I would love to do some questions and answers at the end of this season, which is just going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. So if you have any questions or thoughts or comments that you want to share about this season, Uh, feel free to reach out through Facebook at The Brood Life Podcast, or you can reach uh, me on Instagram at the underscore brood underscore life. And I will uh, read those and hopefully we can include those and have a good wrap up of the season in a couple of weeks. Uh, If you want to reach out for any other reason other than just questions and answers, please feel free to Uh, contact me through any of those social media accounts that I listed and I would love to have a conversation with you uh, about anything you want to or need to talk about so thanks again for listening and I will see you guys next week for another conversation